Hey everyone, this is John Christensen, the founder and CEO of Highland. Here at Highland, we're always thinking about how to put our core values into action. And one of these essential principles is generosity, or what I might even call radical generosity. What that means to me is when I stretch myself, when I put myself in that place where generosity creates a sense of requirement for me, this is something outside my comfort zone maybe. And it's more than just a core value. It's also what it does for my life. It creates this sense of joy and a dopamine hit that's even proven in studies that leads to what I refer to as a life fully lived. Jeff Pihas' story embodies this kind of radical generosity. Jeff is a CPA with a local accounting firm called Sweeney Conrad, a firm that we've known for many years. Last year, he was presented with an opportunity to make a difference, but it was a little bit more involved than just writing a check. He had put his name a year or so before on a national bone marrow registry, and then he finally got the call that maybe you think you're never going to get that said, we have a child that needs your bone marrow and you can save his life. We invited Jeff to Highland's office to talk about his experience of what I call pure contribution a space where we're giving something without getting anything in return. And we asked him to do that in front of our entire team. And it was super cool. And I want to share that conversation with you all. Jeff and I discussed the many avenues we can all take toward making an impact. How his contribution has inspired his community and the people around him as friends and family the unexpected benefits of giving and the things that changed in his life and how professional advisors, all professional advisors, can play such a key role in engaging clients around generosity, both what they're doing individually and what they're helping their clients to do. I'm super excited to share this story and this conversation with you. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. It's nice to have you here at Highland. Yeah, no, and, it's great. And you got our whole team here excited to hear the story. I heard your story a little bit on the fringe initially, and it, it was so interesting to me because it's rare you run into a CPA who's generous, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know what it was, but there was something about the story. I went, I got to hear more. Thank you. I yeah. need to hear more about that. Before we go into that story, though, would you just give everybody a little background on you, kind of your family, just... Give, give us a little bio, would you? Yeah, so I was born and raised in the area. I was, went to Newport High School in Bellevue and, you know, never really lived more than about 15 minutes from where I was born, which I like. And it just, you know, makes me part of the community. And I've been married for 19 years this August and have two kids, a 13-year-old girl who is going to high school next year, just made the drill team at Liberty High School. So we're very excited with that. And then a 11-year-old boy who's just finishing up fifth grade and going to Cougar Mountain Middle School next year and just made a soccer team. And so pretty much every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I will be spending at either high school events or soccer. So, but it's fun. It's basically all I do. And, you know, I've always loved sports, love hanging out with the family. You know, obviously, I'm a CPA, work at Sweeney Conrad, been there my entire career. Worked with you guys forever. You know, actually, the first Highland office was in Sweeney Conrad's old space. So yeah, just really excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Awesome. 
We have something on the wall over here we call the heart of Highland, which represents our cultural principles, the way that we can put our core values into action. And one of those is radical generosity. The concept is this idea of pure contribution, where you're doing something maybe even beyond what most people might think is rational. And usually when you're doing those things that are radical as far as generosity goes, it's not about you. There's not a taking and getting in that. It's about the other person. That's what makes it so unique, pure contribution. And as you think about generosity, though, one of the ways most people think about it is money. That's the way you know, most people would say, if you're being generous, you're giving your money to them. But the reality of it is that we all have more resources than that. We have our time. We also have our talent. And in your case, you took that even further. You said, I even got my body. And so you decided to include your body in that treasure definition, part of, part of what you have as resources. And so you sent out a letter to your community, which I've seen and I've read it. And it was about giving away your bone marrow to a young boy in Europe that you didn't even know. I mean, just on the surface, I went, that's just radical. That's radical generosity if I've ever heard it. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you. But CPAs aren't the first people you think about that are risk takers, right? I mean, CPAs kind of help you save taxes and, <laughs> and, and stay out of trouble and don't do anything risky. So what caused you to decide to do that? You know, honestly, I was just asked and it was just easy. I've been part of the National Bone Marrow Registry forever. And I got a message in January this year and they said, hey, congrats. We've got a match for you. So we set up a call right then and they said, hey, this is a situation. They just told me it's a six-year-old boy. And my wife, Elisa, was just texting me, are you okay with this? Because I was just kind of saying, yep, I'll help. I'll do it. I'll do it. And the whole time she kept texting me like, are you sure you're feeling okay? Like you're committing to something here. And, and I was like, it's a no-brainer. There's some six-year-old boy who ultimately he will die without me. And so as much as maybe it was being generous, it just wasn't even a question. I mean, I would do it over and over and over again. So, so let me get this straight. You, you put yourself on a registry that you figured no one's ever going to call me, right? No one's really ever going to call me, but this feels good. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe somewhere down the road. It was through my synagogue I think they said it was in 2006, so a long time ago. And I'm guessing my synagogue had a bone marrow drive because one of the members needed marrow. They did it. Of course, I wasn't a match for whoever that individual was. But my only connection to the organization was once a year, they sent me an email to confirm my contact information was the same. And, and so, yeah, I wasn't thinking like, hey, this will actually ever lead to anything. But ultimately, it did. So when you, when you did get the match and you and your wife called and you found out there is a boy that yeah. needs my marrow, did you have any moment of, gosh, I wish I hadn't put my, my name on that list? Or did you really immediately pivot to this position you shared with us? I mean, it was immediate. My only concern, again, it was January. And what they told us was there was a lot more testing I needed to do. So it wasn't 100% sure that I was the actual match. But... They said it would be within 60 days to six months from the date I had that first conversation. And it was around January 20th. So 60 days later is March 20th, which is not a slow time in my world. Um, so my, my only concern was really, 
what happens if it's on March 20th and people would be willing to help, but we're all working at 150% capacity. And so to take me out of the game for some period of time would be incredibly challenging. And so that was my biggest concern. And my only concern really ever was that I think having no medical knowledge and really like, oh, just bone marrow, that'll be really easy. So not knowing any better, that helped me not being nervous about what the procedure would be. So you didn't know anything about it? You didn't know really what you were going to have to do? Nope. Yeah. There's two different things they do. They do a blood draw that is six hours of needles in your arm, which six hours sounded brutal, but the procedure, they say they knock you out and they said, eh, it's a, a bit of a recovery, but yeah, I was, I was not really that nervous about just not knowing. Obviously I learned a lot more as the time went on. And did you know the boy at all or get any information on him? No, nope. I know he's a six year old boy. He's in Spain. I don't know where in Spain. I know his disease, which is an incredibly rare blood cancer. I mean, I think there's been under 20 in history diagnosed. And so each country has different laws. In the United States, if both families agree, you can meet immediately after the match or communicate in any way. In Spain, you can only do one anonymous communication and it's through a letter. So I can write him a letter and he can write a letter back to me. I haven't done it yet and I haven't received anything yet, but kind of want to wait a little bit of time and hopefully hear a little bit of progress about him with whatever his family will share. And they may just choose not to share also. And there's no control I have. So tell us a little bit about kind of leading up to actually going to Washington, D.C. and and why was that important and the day of? How did you feel going into that? So, I mean, kind of going through the process, you know, from the moment that I got the initial phone call, I would have like weekly calls. I had a a match coordinator and did a really long medical history on me. I think it was almost a two-hour phone call of asking every question you can ever imagine. I had to get multiple blood draws. You know, a couple of them were just like small little tubes that you would just normally, when you go to do your physical or whatever. One of them I had to do, I think, 14 tubes of it, which they didn't tell me that I would be doing and especially a lot amount until I was there and my coordinator texted me, hey, I know your appointment's in 10 minutes. This might be a lot. It's about 14 tubes and, and got through that fine. You know, so did that, some testing. I had to get like an EKG done and, you know, a couple of things just to make sure I was healthy. I mean, the organization, which I really appreciated, really wanted to make sure I was physically healthy enough to go through the procedure because it is a, a true surgery. What's so great about Be The Match organization and why I wanted to help financially support them is they literally cover every single cost related to it. I mean, not that I did it, but they would have reimbursed me for my mileage from my office to the, you know, the blood center a mile down the road. You know, I mean, they covered everything. They paid for the airfare and hotel, which of course we accepted. They would have paid for all our food and everything and while we were in DC and wanted to make it as easy as possible. And I think they even would do income replacement for, you know, people who do live paycheck to paycheck and wouldn't be able to take three or four days off. You know, they would, they would have supported me so much. That was one of the things I, I really appreciated about the organization is that they were going to do whatever they possibly could to make this as simple for me or any other match. The hardest part was, you know, I've got two kids and they were more nervous. And the fact that I wasn't home, I was in DC, I could tell they were nervous about it. So we're just kind of talking it through with them a lot. I just kind of was like, it's surgery, but it's a very very low risk surgery. So there's, I don't think there's much risk to me, but there's a little boy out there and we're doing something good as a family 
for this because all of us were heavily affected by it in different ways. And so just kind of saying, hey, you know, like we're doing something good for others. And, you know, I would hope if it was reverse and we were the ones in that situation that there'd be somebody out there to help us. Was your wife always on board fully or did that take a conversation? I think she was always on board. I think it was just, it is scary. You know, I, I think when it ultimately, when it was just going through the testing, when they first called me, not knowing when it was going to be, you know, it was just kind of theoretical and I was busy and life's busy. So we kind of weren't talking about it a lot. But then when they called us and gave us a date, the date was April 25th, which was my wife's birthday. And she actually thought it was like the best date. Like if she didn't really think about it ahead of time, but now like after she's like, oh, this is a perfect gift for doing something as a family that's going to change our life and somebody else's life. And so, I, you know, she was more nervous about it because I think she has a more natural like, oh, gee, what if something does go wrong? I was fully put under anesthesia, you know, like what happens if something did happen? And she was probably a bit nervous about that. She couldn't come into the hospital because of COVID. So, you know, she was going to come in the Uber with me to to the hospital, but it was like, why? And then all you're going to do is turn around and go back. I, I can Uber by myself. You can't come in. And so that was kind of the hardest part for both of us. It was weird being by ourselves. And tell us a little bit about the fundraising goal and kind of how did that come about? After they first asked me, you know, after a week or two, I, I just kind of started thinking about it, knowing that I was doing something that was unique and that I liked the idea of trying to build a little community around this. And then I just started thinking about it a little bit. And eventually one day I said something to my wife. I was like, you know, I think I want to make a donation ourselves, like to the organization and a meaningful one to us and just us. And, and she's like, okay, I'm good with that. And we kind of bounced around ideas and I didn't know exactly what we wanted to do. And then I started thinking like, huh. And I kind of had in my head, I hadn't I don't think even verbalized it, but it was like, you know, maybe we could send it out to some friends or even just my coworkers. And then I think maybe at the same time, Ben and I had gone out for a happy hour and you actually made some comment. I thought you could do something about this. And it was already kind of noodling in my head and, and just having somebody else say it without me bringing it up. Like I've never asked people for money. You know, I, I'm not against getting a little bit of attention, but I don't want to be the center of attention. You know, probably in my perfect world, I would have sent it out. People would have been generous. And then maybe I wouldn't have heard much more about it at all. But the idea of being able to do something and make a change. The more I learned about the organization and the great things they do and just how expensive it is for them, even just to do one test is like $120. And so being able to help the organization just seemed really exciting. And and I know I have great clients. You know, Most of them are very generous individuals. And so I think they would like to know what's going on in my life. That was pretty momentous, just like I bet I learn about most of my clients when they have surgeries or other major life issues. Isn't that interesting, though, that as professional advisors, we tend to believe that we're supposed to keep our personal life personal. Yeah. And we're only supposed to talk to our clients about their lives. Yeah. But in reality, the reverse is really true. They want to know we're human beings. Yep, absolutely. And where I learned that lesson clearly was my son was born on April 12th. He was due April 18th, but of course I knew it could be any date. And so I remember still having to send out a message to all my clients as we were getting closer to the deadlines. 
I might just be gone one day. You know, like I was here yesterday and now I'm not. And so that was like the first time I'd ever let any clients into my personal life at all. And it was just amazing the change in the relationship I had with my clients because I wasn't just a CPA. Now I was a father. And then they found out, oh, he's married too. You know, I mean, just they could be my client for 15 years and never meet them face to face. And yet they're really loyal, great clients. We'll talk on the phone, of course, but I have many clients that there's no way if they were in this room, I wouldn't know them. You know, them learning, hey, he is a person who cares about things and is doing stuff, has strengthened my relationships. And the nicest responses I got were almost exclusively from clients, which was, was really neat. I mean, I heard lots of nice things from so many people, but clients seem to be the ones that were most generous for what they said. That's really cool. So how did you set the amount that you were trying to raise and how did that finish up? In my head, I was thinking 100,000. I was like, yeah, that's, that's never going to hit. And you know, for those who know me, I am goal-driven. There hasn't been very many goals in my life that I haven't eventually got. Maybe t- may have taken way longer than I expected, but eventually I got there. I don't want to set a goal that's just impossible. And so I was like, let's do... 50,000. I think that's reasonable. I think most of you probably saw from the letter. My wife and I decided that we wanted to do the first 10,000. So it was like kind of figuring out how many people we sent it to. And it was like 50,000. That seems reasonable. And I hope we can get it. And I want to say we had 35,000 on the first day or two. And, and it just, it was slow. And then it got to 43-ish and it kind of stopped for a little bit. I'm like, okay, we're going to get there. We'll get there. But there had been a couple people who had mentioned that they were going to do gifts. They hadn't come through. And a lot of them were my clients who have foundations, which I'm guessing if you're going through your foundation, you're going to make a little bit more generous of a gift or larger gift. All the gifts were very generous and just blew me away generous. But you know, I kept hearing about more. And I was kind of doing the math. I'm like, huh, I think we're at 70 now of things I know about. And it was just every day, it was just a little bit more coming in. And so it was really exciting. And so then like I you know, mentioned that to get us over 100,000 was actually thanks to you guys specifically was what put us over the line. And it was such a cool achievement. I, I definitely took a lot of pride in it and just was proud to know how many matches will eventually be saved because of, of the community's generosity. That's so cool. And it was the number you had in the back of your mind that yeah. you were afraid to, yeah. to go after, right? Yeah. It's been such a cool process. I'm, I'm so excited that I was able to do it. If you could do it again, what would you do differently on the fundraise if you did anything? I don't know that I would. I mean, they through the organization, of course, they have a huge fundraising department and you know, they worked with us and they sent us different ways of doing it. I think this one was called Freeform. There was ones where you could say, hey, if you give $15, it allows one meal for the person like me in my situation to go. And I, I was like, I want people to give what they're going to give. I think we all forget about it, but our clients are all, you know, majority are the, the wealthiest of the wealthy. You know, I see all the time clients giving 25 or 50 or $100,000 to organizations. But I think I would have maybe added some of those lower levels just because there's probably some people who maybe didn't feel comfortable giving a, a small number when they saw, I mean, pretty much the smallest I saw was about $100. And maybe there was a lot of people who would have loved to have given it the $15 level to know that they're actively doing something. So maybe that would be the only thing. But overall, I didn't want to make it too forceful. There was things you could have done that would have been 
spreading it a lot more out, but I didn't necessarily want to do that. I mean, I sent out one email and my wife put it on Facebook once, but we didn't want to broadcast. I wasn't going to send a second message to anybody. So all that was one email. Yeah. That's the power of a story that inspires people. Yeah. No, it was, I was, I was amazed. Like, even though I had that goal, that number in my mind at some point, it just, it was amazing that it, it got there. Where did this phrase come that you put in the letter, always do the extra credit? Where did that phrase come from? <laughs> well, if you have young kids, you'll see that they try to limit to the absolute max how much they make kids do in homework. And then there's always like an extra. And so my son, he would like once a week have one sheet of math. The front side was always like the required and the back side would be like one or two more problems that were the extra credit. And you know, it wasn't like some family thing or anything like that. I just always said, PIs do the extra credit. Your teacher gave it to you. It's just one more opportunity to learn. It's one more opportunity to, you know, get a chance to do this challenging math problem. And so it just kind of became a thing. Now, my son hates the term PIs do the extra credit, but, <laughs> but he also hears it. And I think when he gets older, he'll appreciate it more, and hopefully it will be reflected in what he does, whatever he does as an adult, whatever his job is, or how he you know, lives his life, that he'll do that little bit of extra. But you connected that to what you did for this, this match, correct? Yeah, so I just, I just felt like it was something we could do extra. And I think just by saying that, it made me feel more comfortable asking you know, I, I've always kind of been those people. You can ask me anything at any time, and I'll be completely honest about what's going on in my personal life. I know I, in the office, I do a lot of mentoring of our young people, and most of my mentoring is around like my own stories on what I did to get to where I am today. But I'm not necessarily one to like put my hand up and to volunteer to say, "Hey, I'm happy to have a meeting like this." I wouldn't have ever said, "Hey, John, invite me on your show," but. If you ask me, I'm more than happy to discuss it and have these conversations. And so I think by just using the term, doing the extra credit, it, it kind of gave me permission and the confidence to say, I'm willing to, I felt like in some ways brag about what I'm doing and that I'm trying to get this attention. And at least I'm saying like, hey, this is something we do in our family, a little bit extra always. Let's see if I can do it here. Well, the story you're telling your kids is, is dad does extra credit too, yeah. right? It's yeah. not just math homework. Yep. So what advice would you have for someone who wants to be more generous in their life, but maybe doesn't know how to start or know where to start? You know, I mean, I think you can just do a little bit. You know, there's always little things that you can do and just finding what is meaningful to you, finding an organization you truly care about and finding a way you can help. Every organization needs some type of volunteer help. And even if it's just photocopying, you know, some stuff for them so that their professionals can go out and do their job is something easy that we can all do. And so finding organizations that mean something to us and just doing a little bit. What were the unexpected benefits that you received from having done what you've decided to do? Feeling good about it, you know, knowing that I've made a difference in a family's life. I got a phone call from my coordinator. She was checking in with me every day for the first week or so. And on the second or third day, she said, and just so you know, Jeff, it did get into the boy that it was implanted into him and it was successful. I don't know how he's recovering or anything like that, unfortunately, but just like when she said that, it really 
it hit me harder. I mean, I think I got a little teary-eyed. At the minimum, it gave him and his family hope and hopefully extends his life because I think he was getting very close to the end before this. It's just getting that confirmation really affected me so much. How do you think this is going to change or how will you think differently about generosity or will it? It, it, it has, I think for sure. It has kind of th- changed my mindset about what can I do? How can I help? Could being involved with organizations very regularly be something I want to do? I love going into school and watching my kids or helping out my kids. Like I live across the street. Can I just go into various classes and help out with math with little kids who are struggling? I mean, I, I've loved doing that in the past. So can I commit to doing something like that? And how is this going to change you as a professional advisor who serves similar clients to ours, deeply resourced people? How, how is this going to change the way you talk to them about their generosity or things they might be doing? I don't know. I mean, I, I know I've, oftentimes I have conversations with clients around, hey, we just sold our business. We've got all this cash coming in. We're thinking about being charitable and you know, kind of my storyline always is give because you want to. If it's just to lower your tax bill, you might as well pay more taxes because you end up with more cash. Maybe I won't say that as much anymore because I do want them to give. I, it's got to be more than just a tax savings thing, you know, and, and maybe I'll bring up more. I, you know, I haven't pushed much, but you know, hey, I'm selling my business. What are you going to do now? And, you know, maybe talk to them about like, hey, there's opportunities to, do some good. You're, you're only 50. You've got plenty of time left. There's only so much travel you can do. Well, it's interesting as advisors, we don't always feel like that's our place. Yeah. You know, but the reality of it is, I think we are their confidants, what we would call a wealth confidant. I would say you're their wealth confidant. In a lot of ways, they're, they're wanting that, that feedback from us and we're reluctant most of the time to share it. It's interesting to see you pivot to a different perspective that might be, I'm willing to engage in a conversation because now I've done something that's impacted my life and I want to tell you about it. Is that true? No, I think so. With that too is for us, another client sold their business. I mean, we've all been involved with that or inherited a lot of money or whatever, but for our clients, this is their one time and they may not have any buddies or other people that they can go talk to openly. And so we do have an opportunity to not necessarily push them to do something that they're not interested in, but, you know, open their eyes to maybe other things that people have done. And so we do have an opportunity that's fairly unique. Well, in your case too, where you've experienced some amount of joy, I think there is this, this saying that I like to, to throw around, which is, you know, generous people are the, are the most happy people you'll meet in a lot of cases. It, generosity is the secret joy creator. And it yeah. sounds to me like you've experienced some of that. Yeah. And if we truly care about our clients, and the people that are in our lives, we, you know, if that's a, an easy way to get more joy, then it would behoove us to share that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a very good point. Yeah. Just wrapping up, because this has been great, and I really appreciate you sharing this really very personal story, but inspiring one. What do you hope that our Highland team or whoever might hear this, what, what do you hope would be the takeaway from your experience that might cause somebody to do just one thing? You can change people's lives. You know, you can, you can do things for better. And ultimately, you know, one thing I've been telling a lot of people, and there's a lot of people in this room who can qualify, you can't get on the, the donor registry once you're 
40 because bone marrow and stem cells get weaker as you get older. But the procedure was truly easy. I never had pain. I was never on a painkiller other than during the actual procedure. I woke up in no pain. I completely recovered. I flew the next day. It was truly not hard. And if so inclined, I would encourage you to look into it. It's a great organization. All they do is save people's lives. And you can make a difference. And it's, it's not that hard. And it doesn't have to be this, you know, this ultimately was a life-changing thing for me and the family. But there's lots of other things too. I mean, through the firm, I brought my daughter to Hopelink. And they, they have a home out in, in Redmond where organizations can prepare and serve a meal. I think they do it every Wednesday, or they at least used to before COVID. And my daughter and I came, and she just was hanging out with these kids and serving them some food and laughing and you know, just giving them a smile. And it, it made their day. You know, they were able to feed all these people. And so there's little things we can all do to, to make a difference. And we should try to find those opportunities because we're all lucky in some way. Every single one of us has something we can do. Well, with that, I just so appreciate you sharing that story with us, and, and it's great to, to have you here. I'm going to dub you the uh, radical CPA. You're, you're, <laughs> you're the radical generosity CPA. Thank you. Thank you for all your time. Thank you. So we do want to open it up for any questions that you all have. So if there's anything that you want to ask Jeff, please do so. I, I'm going to repeat the question just so that we have it recorded since you don't have a microphone on. But does anybody want to ask Jeff a question? Did Jeff feel more nervous to send the email or to go into the surgery? Definitely the email. And, <laughs> and actually, I sent out, before I was ever asking for money, I sent a message out to my extended family I typed up an email. My wife and I kind of proofed it back and forth. And then when I was about to hit send, even though like I had already fully committed to the organization, like telling my just family, it was like, oh, this is really real. There's no turning back. Like now people know I'm doing this. Like I can't put my head in the sand. So the sending out the one asking for money, that was definitely more scary than the surgery. When I got to the hospital, they were just so professional and nice. And there was... Yeah. One of the doctors said he does literally every single day. This is the only thing he does. He does a surgery in the morning basically every day. And then he is like a pediatrician, which was interesting. The two doctors at Georgetown, which is where I did it, were both pediatricians who do the surgery for whatever reason. At Sweeney, you have a people first culture. Culture is very important to you as well as it is here. And so the question was basically, have you had a conversation like this at Sweeney or have there been other green shoots, if you will, around generosity within your firm that's come from that? We haven't had any formal conversations. I have contemplated about trying to do a, like a bone marrow, like swabbing drive or something through the office. But yeah, no, I, I, we, I'm sure we'll do some stuff around it. So the question is, which is, is sensitive for me, actually, the question is, if it was a young person, which it was, that was an easier decision. Had it have been maybe an older person, would, would that have shifted your thinking at all? I don't think it would have initially shifted my thinking. I would have done it anyway. It helped that it was a, a young boy. And, and because it, I thought at some point it might have had to have been during my busy season, Having it a young boy, it's a lot easier to ask my coworkers to help me out because it's a little kid and most everybody in our firm has had a little kid or still has little kids. So it's, you know, easier. But would I do it again? 
in a second. I wouldn't even think about it. It was so easy. Like, it, like the whole process went easily. I mean, like when they gave you like the list of risks factors, it was like 72% had no effect. Like 28% of people had some pain from it. You know, it wasn't like a lot of pain. It was just some. And so that's been the, what I've been most vocal about since is like trying to encourage what I call young people now, those under 40, to get on the list because it's so easy. And I've been adamant to the organization that if they do have people who are on the fence that get called to be a match, to have them reach out to me because I'd be happy to convince them to, to go through it. If you're going to save a life, you're doing something that takes some effort. Ultimately, this is fairly easy from a physical thing. I mean, the figuring out how we're going to get my kids to the 17 activities they had that weekend that we were out of town was way more challenged than figuring this out. And can you do it again? I can. You can do it once a year. Oh, really? And they said what's most likely, if you're going to ask a second time, it's the same patient that needs, needs it. So the question is around community and the impact of community around generosity. And so if I understand you correctly, it sounds like what would or how could Sweeney and Highland maybe work together in doing something together in community that would be meaningful? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of things we could do. I mean, going to Food Lifeline would be great. I mean, we can find opportunities for the, the two firms to get together because I think how we try to serve clients and how you guys try to serve clients, you know, we say it differently, but it's kind of from the same place and really focused on, you know, we say people first. So you guys talk about radical generosity and living, you know, fully lived life. And I think that's doing the same thing from different ways. I'm kind of speaking on that. I don't know too much, but I think I'm fairly unique in raising money. And I think at this level, especially because Be The Match constantly is reaching out to me to say, hey, can we take you on a tour here? Can we do this? <laughs> so you're saying you're kind of a big deal? <laughs> I don't know about that. But they've, they've invited me about five times to an event in, in July in LA. And I'm like, man, I don't really need to go. Like if it's going to help the organization, but. I thought you were going to say it was because you were a stem cell superstar. Yeah. You, you got to tell everybody about that. <laughs> so I didn't know really much about it, but how they do it is they actually need the stem cells out of your bone marrow. So that's what they, that's what he actually needed. And so halfway through the procedure, they look at it and see what the density of it. So they test it and they literally, somebody's like counting how many stem cells they can see under a microscope. And so after the procedure, they, you know, finish up and the doctor immediately calls my wife. Hey, it all went well. I let her know that it all went well and all that. And she had her notes out and the guy said, oh yeah. And he has super marrow. And it kind of went on. And then she goes, wait, what? You have super marrow? What, what, what does that mean? And apparently my density of stem cells in my bone marrow is way high. And so they only actually took 1,100 milliliters and that had way more than what the match needed, which is cool is hopefully the other side froze them. And if he ever needs them again, I don't have to go through the preacher. Even though it was easy, it still was you know a challenge. So that was cool to know. And then of course, my recovery, I think was a little bit better than it would have been otherwise because they took less out of me. And your marrow apparently is very involved with energy levels. So if, any, if anybody, you know, questions your credibility, you know, you should just update your bio on yeah. the Sweeney side. I got super you marrow. Know, I got super marrow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's my CPA. He's got yes. super marrow. It definitely is going to help you with taxes. Somehow. So how long was the recovery period? 
what they tell you is for jobs like we have, three days, you could go back to work after three days. For me, I probably could have gone back. So I had my surgery on Monday, flew home Tuesday night. I easily could have gone to work on Friday if I had any need to. I had a meeting that I had to go in the office on Monday. I went in just for the meeting, never logged into my computer, and I took the rest of the week off. But that was more just because it was after busy season and I hadn't had a chance to take some time off. But I was going for a walk two days after the surgery. You know, a walk was, you know, from here to the other side of the office, but it was still getting out and doing something. And again, I was never in pain. So if I hear you correctly, how important was the physical marrow donation as it related to the fundraising? Because he's been involved in fundraising just straight up the middle, but this one was different. It had a personal element to it. Doing more than just writing a check, it actually had meaning. You know, it's making me want to find organizations that I can, you know, more regularly do because there is more joy in that. There is more meaning and and it's easier to help explain to my kids how they can help because who knows what level of financial success they'll have. But no matter what level you have, you can do something. There's always something that we can all do. Great. Well, with that, I were, we had way more questions and, and it went over, but it was really rich conversation. So thanks for spending the time with us. And so uh, it was really nice of you to do that. So thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to my conversation with Jeff Pihaw. While financial contributions are an important approach, giving can go well beyond just money. Where else do we have abundance in our lives? As we learn from Jeff, other acts of generosity can have an incredibly tangible impact and may just lead you on an unexpected and enriching journey that impacts not only you, but also those around you. What we do as individuals can ripple out and inspire a movement. So talk to people in your life about how to practice generosity and maybe even stretch yourself into the zone of radical generosity. If you'd like to make an impact, I'd encourage you to just get started. Find a local organization or a cause and consider how you can contribute. To learn more about the National Bone Marrow Registry, head to Be The Match. Thanks again for listening, and now go live fully. This piece was produced by Anna McLean and Randy Lundy. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC.